All right. Hey, kia ora to you and a warm welcome. Um, let, me, uh, let me start by answering two questions. One obvious, one, of, one maybe not so obvious. The, the first one is, we're sitting like this to talk about this this morning. So there you go. That's the, that's the first one that's obvious. Maybe not so obvious is that uh, we won't be sitting like this every Sunday. So you don't need to like feel that you need to find your new seat, your new regular space, or else it's just going to be disorientating. From next Sunday, we'll twist it back around the other way. But this will stay on the wall. This will stay here. But um, we'll, we'll focus that back that way. So this morning, we're going to talk about uh, the calendar a little bit. We're going to talk about art, we're going to talk about worship, we're going to talk about formation. Uh, Mostly this week will end up being art and worship, and next week we'll talk more about the calendar and formation, but I do want to give a little bit of an introduction as we we get into it this morning. Uh, I'm suspicious of simplicity. I'm suspicious of um, anything that is over oversimplified. I'm I'm suspicious of 21 laws. If there's 21 laws of something, uh, I'm suspicious that there could be 21 laws. Uh, if there's seven steps or five keys or three secrets that sum up some aspect of the human experience, uh, I'm just suspicious that it can be simplified down to something like that. If then all of the 21 laws or the seven steps or the three keys all start with the same English letter of the alphabet, I'm even doubly suspicious that that somehow the human experience can be reduced down to a number and some particular letters of the alphabet. Nothing is ever that simple. Um, I don't know about your experience, but my experience is that you just go to quickly mow the lawns. We're just going to quickly mow the lawns, get that sorted, you know that as you go to quickly mow the lawns, you know the mower will be out of petrol. Like, that'll be the, that'll be the time that it's out of petrol. Um, I hope you set up your Christmas tree. We've all set up our Christmas tree. Okay, there's a few of us that love Jesus, and that's amazing. So, that's awesome. Um, I went on the 31st of October this year just, just to make it the 31st of October. I just did that on purpose. But you, you think that'll be easy. Whatever is stored in front of your Christmas tree, it will have spilt. So just so you know, between now and last year when you packed it away so tidily, it's all gone wrong. Things have, things have spilled, things are in the way. It's not that simple. You today, you're probably craving a good 1992 panini, you know, cranberry, chicken, and camembert. So you're thinking, even now that I've talked about it, you're like, I could do with a throwback panini from the 90s. Um, you'll go to the supermarket to buy the panini. There won't be any paninis left. It'll only be, it'll only be croissants. It'll be all that's left. You, you think it would be simple but it always turns out to be more complicated. That said, when it comes to Christian discipleship, I'm suspicious that there's a simplicity to it that defies logic. Uh, I've been kind of wrestling with some things. It feels like there's a lot of young people somewhere in the building. Not in here, but elsewhere. Um, there's a simplicity to discipleship that I think defies that, that logic. Um, and I've, I've started kind of reducing it down in my head. Um, I can do better, I think, than 21 laws. I think I can go uh, more simple than that. I think I can go better than seven steps. 
I think I can go better than five keys. I think I can go even better than three secrets. So my, I'm going to attempt even lower than three secrets. I think I can get it down to, I'm going to say two commitments. I'm going to say two commitments. I think I can whittle it down to two commitments. And then I wonder if you add more to that, whether it um, ends up becoming overcomplicated. So I've whittled it down to two commitments. First commitment, number one, live attentive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. So if I was going to whittle things down, I would whittle it down to number one, live attentive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Is that... Is that the walk-in school bus? Oh, they haven't gone yet. Oh, I thought they'd gone, so we started. Bye, walk-in school bus. Uh, Number one, live attentive to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. And then my second commitment, this is more controversial, live attentive to the rhythms and routines of the Christian calendar or the liturgical calendar. Uh, I've spent 25 years full-time as a pastor um, I've done a lot of study. I think if people would ask me, what was your doctorate about ultimately? What was the conclusion of your doctorate? I think the conclusion of my doctorate would be live attentive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit and live attentive to the rhythms and routines of the Christian calendar. My doctorate's actually about reimagining Pentecostalism, but if you would fuse the charismatic and the contemplative together, I think I would make the argument to live attentive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit and live attentive attentive to the rhythms and routines of the Christian calendar. Uh, Maybe to phrase it with a bit more intensity, live deeply attentive. Live deeply attentive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit and to the rhythms and routines of the calendar. Educate, immerse yourself, familiarize yourself, find a guide in relation to those commitments and grow to be the holy, whole, and wholesome person that Christ has called you to be. Uh, The great gift of God to all of creation is God's very self, okay? So the, the great gift of God to all of creation is God's very self, infinite loving kindness, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-suffering, sacrificial love that is God. So I think, I think the, the, the gift of God to all creation is first and foremost God's very self. From God, though, the great gift of God to the church is the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit. So the, the, the great gift is God, but then God's great gift in turn is the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 16, verse 12 to 15, Jesus, Jesus speaking, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the Spirit will rec- you will receive from me what He will make known to you. So there's the sense of movement from the Father to the Son to the Spirit to the church. That the great gift of God to the church is the Spirit that will make Christ known, that will make all things known. God, the great gift, the great gift of God, the Spirit. In a similar manner, I think the great gift of the church to the world around us is the very is the church itself. The, 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 the body of Christ in the world is the great gift to the world around us. The, the church in its totality, the brothers and sisters of Christ in its totality. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. The great gift of the church is the church, its very self. Uh, this one another community of the Spirit, learning to live and love the way 
of Jesus. The church is the, its very self is the great gift, like God's very self is the great gift. In turn, though, I think if we were to take one thing from the church, I think the great gift of the church is not our night meetings. I don't think that's the great gift of the church, night meetings. Um, not uh, light parties. I don't think that's the great gift of the church. Not even Narnia. I don't think Narnia is the great gift to the world from the church, though you could make a case for that, but I'm happy this morning to say, no, I don't, I don't think it's Narnia. Uh, I don't think it's conferences. I don't think conferences are the great gift that the church offers. I don't even think it's Hillsong's 99 album, By Your Side, which is a very good album. Like, that's, that's probably peak worship for me, 1999, Hillsong, By Your Side. I don't think that even is the great gift. Darlene, the, the Holy Spirit-filled Celine Dion of the world. I don't, I don't think that's the great gift. I think the great gift that the church gives, aside from its very self, is the Christian calendar, the liturgical calendar, the the ability to orient time itself around the life of Christ. God, the great gift, the great gift of God, the Spirit. The church, the great gift. The great gift of the church, the liturgical calendar. Because the liturgical calendar is not in the Bible. It's something that the church has put together over time as a resource, as a blessing. It's through the observance of the liturgical calendar that we are told over and over again, through all the years of our lives, the story that informs us and forms us and calls to us through all the years of our lives, over and over again. Uh, Herculetus, a great uh, Greek philosopher who lived in Ephesus in 500 BC, had a saying, and it was that uh, no man ever steps in the same river twice. For it is not the same river, and he is never the same man. And yeah, of course, we know it is the same river, but it's not the same river, because the, the river flows differently, and you've grown, and you've changed. If you return to that river a year later, it's not the same river, and you're not the same man. You never step into the same river twice. In the same way, we, we journey through the liturgical calendar. We journey through Lent, but it's never the same Lent, and it's never the same person, because Life has changed and life has shifted and you've grown older and you're observing things from a different perspective and and things have happened in the last 12 months. So we're in Lent again. And yet it's not the same Lent and you're not the same person. You're never in the same thing twice. And yet it rolls around year after year. Very similar. Lent after Lent, Easter after Easter, Pentecost after Pentecost, Advent after Advent, but never the same Lent, never the same Easter, never the same Pentecost, never the same Advent, and you're never quite the same person. An ongoing adventure of formation. So two commitments, live deeply attentive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, live deeply attentive to the rhythms and routines of the Christian calendar. All right, I'm going to leave that as a bold and as yet unsubstantiated claim. Uh, I'll just let that, that's for Andrew Killick. Andrew, Andrew was the, Andrew edited my studies for years. He was, su- he was such a helpful edit and often he'd write in the margin. That feels like a very bold and unsubstantiated claim. And I'm like, ugh, have to go back to the, the books and try and unpack things and figure things out. And I know he's watching on the live stream this morning, so hello, Andrew. Um, I'm going to leave that, that the greatest gift, <laughs> the greatest gift of the church is the Christian calendar. I'm going to leave that kind of just simmer in the air as a large and unsubstantiated claim, and then next Sunday I'm going to dig into that a little bit more. But I will say this. Um, I will point this out. Uh, it's not controversial to say that, because we all live according to the Christian calendar anyway at the moment. It's just whether you live it 
very well or not live it very well. Uh, you've all been living according to this calendar for as long as you've been a Christian, all of you. Uh, and for as long as you've been alive, even if you haven't been a Christian, even the secular world that we live in lives according to this calendar. It's just the question to the degree to which they live according to the calendar or how well they live according to the calendar. Um, oh, you might say, no, we, we grew up in a, con- a contemporary church and uh, we didn't do the Christian calendar. I'm like, whoa, that sounds terrible. So like you didn't do Easter and like you didn't do Christmas and um, you didn't have holidays. Man, I'm glad that I didn't grow up in that church. Like, oh, well, no, no, we did Christmas and so we did Easter. It's like, ah, oh, so you did the Christian calendar. You did that and you gave it every Sunday for church. So you did live the Christian calendar. It's just a question of how attentive or how much you paid attention to that. Uh, I'm not sure what would want to orientate church life around instead. I, I don't know what could be better. Um, you know, the, the year marked out according to the financial year. Oh, oh, you do that in your business. On Sunday, we'll try and do something different. Uh, mark it out according to the school term. It's like, oh, that sounds exhausting. Uh, mark it out according to daylight savings. It's like, oh, we can do better than daylight savings. And so we're invited to mark it out via this. Um, Of course, we celebrate Christmas, Easter, even the most contemporary churches, and they're they're the holy days of the liturgical calendar, the holy days of Easter, the holy days of Christmas. Another way of putting it is the holidays of Easter and the holidays of Christmas. I'm not sure if you know where the word holidays comes from, but let me give you a, a clue. The word holidays comes from the more older English word Holy days. So that's where we inherit those things from. So if you grew up in a contemporary church that doesn't do this, but you did do Easter, have Easter holidays, you did do Christmas, have Christmas holidays, it's like, okay, you're doing this, but there's more to unpack. So it's not very controversial, but we need to unpack that perhaps a little bit more. The invitation of the Christian calendar, time itself orientated around the life of Christ. Uh, Better to do that consciously rather than unconsciously, I think. Uh, and all depicted here in this amazing uh, painting by uh, the one and only Dwayne Moyle, which is, who is with us this morning. So, uh, Dwayne, why don't you come and join me this morning? Why don't you put your hands together for Dwayne as he comes? We'll unpack the calendar information a little bit more next week. Today, we're going to talk about art and worship a little bit more. Uh, for a number of years, I'd have imagined um, having the Christian calendar depicted in St. Luke's in some way, shape, or form on this wall, but I didn't really kind of know what that might look like. But Dwayne and I have been talking for a, a fair amount of time about that. And either late last year or early this year, he came to me with a, a pencil sketch that had done up of, um, like the, just trust me, the pencil sketch looked amazing. Um, <laughs> Though Jesus had a dot in his head, which was very unusual, but that's because he'd, he'd used the compass to draw circles coming out from, <laughs> out from... I was like, I think it's very contemporary, maybe postmodern, I'm not sure, but maybe we could do Jesus a little bit different. To have, Why has he got the... It's like, oh, that's the compass going round and round. So, so uh, he had a sketch, and uh, it was magnificent and looked wonderful. Uh, I shoulder-tapped a few St. Luke's folks to see if they might be interested in funding the project. Funding the project... A project, if this is a project, it's worship, really. It's an act of worship. Let's say funding the worship project. I don't know if that. I don't know if that's quite the right terminology either. But funding the worship project, and 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 the people I talked to were happy to do that, and I trust that their giving to support this was an act of worship 
uh, in and of itself. And then Dwayne spent the hours putting it together as an act of worship. And then hopefully for us as a church community, it can further be an invitation to worship as well. So, um, yeah, Dwayne, welcome. Thank you. You're a legend. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit of the backstory on this piece from your perspective? My backstory goes back like 20, 15 years or so to we're coming into Christmas and where I was ministering at the time, people were like, Christmas, such a, it's the worst time of the year. And I'm like, it is a holy day. It's a holy feast. It's like, it shouldn't be bad. I thought we should do a four week series helping people to get ready for Christmas. I was like, and we talked about it at the management meeting. We was like, yeah, we'll do it. So we're going to do this four-week series to help people get ready for Christmas. And then my friend gives me these Advent cards, and I'm like, what's Advent? So I Google Advent. It's like, oh, it's a four-week series to help get people ready for Christmas. I'm like, how, lo- how long have people been doing this for? Oh, like over 1,500 years. So it's like we thought we had it. So my story goes way back to there, and now we're here. Where does your story start, Dwayne? Let's hear from you. Yeah, so... Um I think uh, it was around this time last year that, that I showed you the sketch, maybe even October. And, yeah, that was kind of at a, a critical point in my journey, I think, when I had decided I wanted to try and see if I could make this happen. Uh, but it goes back further to uh, September 2018 when uh, Joseph preached the great, greatest sermon that's ever been spoken. <laughs> September 30th. They'll, they'll all know that one. They'll yeah, all remember 2018. It. I've, li- I've listened to it maybe seven or eight times now. Uh, but it was all on icons, um, traditional orthodox icons. And as per usual, he had loads of imagery and, uh, you know, amazing references. And it was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. And it was really inspirational for me as an artist. Um, and, yeah, and, and subsequently... Many of Joseph's sermons have had visual imagery uh, and, uh, you know, old artworks. And, and I've, I've had a long interest in, um, in old paintings, more traditional Western um, art history than, than Eastern European art, Orthodox art. But, um, yeah, in recent times I've, I've developed more of an interest in um, East, Eastern Orthodox art traditions. Um, but at that time, I, I would come to church and get ridiculously inspired and excited and uh, have all these ideas for future art creations, but then not be able to make them, have to go home and go to work on Monday. And, um, and it was painful. You know, it's, it's, it's a strange thing to try and describe to people who don't have those kind of uh, wirings or desires or inklings within them. But it was painful to not be able to, to make these things. And, uh, uh, you know, week after week, I'd come and Joseph and I would look at that big blank wall and he'd say, how about it? And I said, yeah, I want to. I really do. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was something that had been bubbling away for a long time. And then um, my father died in April 2021. And, um, you know, that was a, a massive blow. But we, we knew it was coming. He had terminal cancer. And um, it, it, was, it was horrible at the end. We saw him suffering in agony. And so, it, it, you know, it was prostate cancer that went to his bones. And it, it's, he said he described it to me once like a dog gnawing on your bones. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was, was excruciating to watch. And at the end, we were pleased to see him um, relieved from his suffering. 
we knew it was coming, we felt prepared for it, but and at the same time, it, it hit me in huge and unexpected ways. And it spiralled me into a, a, a deep, dark depression. And um, I remember saying to someone at one point, if I had hard drugs in the house, I would have done them. And, and realising that, you know, this was the first massive trauma in my life. And some people have lived with that their whole lives, that level of hurt and trauma and, and pain. And realising, you know, at that time how blessed I was to, to have not experienced that much pain and trauma up till then. And, and at the same time, being able to look around myself and see the good things that I had around me, but still I was in this, this dark hole. And one of the things that kept rolling around in my head was um, the sense... My dad died at 66, and... Um, he, had, he still had plans and dreams. He had things he wanted to do. He, he ticked off a lot of his things before he passed, but there was a huge sense to me that he was dead before he was finished. And, and that really stuck with it. It still sticks with me today. I do not want to be dead before I'm finished. And, and that was one of the things that was rolling around in my head. And uh, depression hits you in weird ways. And, and I felt worthless and useless. And, yeah, like a, just completely devoid of anything good. And, and, but the, one of the things that kept rolling around was I'd written out some goals a few years before. And um, it was challenging to do that because goals and ideals, they become a judge they look at you and they, they remind you, are you doing what you know you should be doing? And it was very clear after I'd written out my goals and I, I'd always known what I wanted to do, but writing them down, making them plain, that was what was, was hitting me hard, that I wasn't fully doing what I knew I should be doing. So I stopped, uh, I stopped thinking about it. I stopped calculating and stopped trying to figure out how I was going to pay the bills. And, in, and I think in, in those moments of when you've been kicked in the guts, that's when you lift your head up and get ready to fight. And, and that was... You, do, you stop thinking about it, you know. It was, was, was that passion, that energy, that drive that, that was, was necessary from that pain, that pain of loss. And um, so I quit my job. It was a good job. I worked at the Tauranga Art Gallery. And for someone who's trained in the arts, um, it's, it's the dream job. Um, it, you know, it took me until I was 40 to get a full-time job in the arts. And then I quit. And, but it was never, you know, it's, it's a dream job, but not the, the ultimate occupation for me was to always be making art. And, um, yeah, so... And, and, and part of that process was sort of lining up a few projects and things that I thought I could do, and, um, and this was one of them. Um, yeah, so it was, it, was a, it was a combination of feeling called to step out of the boat and also being pushed out of the boat as well. And, and you know, looking down at the water and not seeing a few planks of wood and, and, and not much else. Was there anything to step onto? Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, Joseph and I grew up in the uh, rah-rah Pentecostal times and uh, we, we all knew that we need to follow our dreams and live our destiny and be a, be a history maker. Um, so, and, and those things never left me, you know, and I, I knew that I needed to step out of the boat. And, um, 
yeah, and do it. So this is, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a year, I think, in, in uh, yeah, in, in, in production, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Um, we'll unpack bits and pieces more of that. Um, Tell us some of the technical sides of the painting first. Obviously, it's a painting of the Christian calendar. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more next week. Tell us some of the technical, you know, um, how much Photoshop did you use? Um, <laughs> uh, um, you know, th- so just tell us a little bit about the, the technical side of the, the I piece wish, itself. I wish I was a little more proficient at Photoshop because <laughs> it probably would make the process easier, but I am quite a pencil and paper kind of guy. Um, and so, yeah, it is... It is oil paint on panel, um, which is not the traditional way. Traditionally, oil paints aren't used for icon making. They use egg tempera, which is a, a paint made from pigment and egg yolk. Um, they, they thought that... I mean, icons have happened long before um, oil paint was invented, and they decided that oil paint was too sensuous. It was too... Uh, yeah, it was too much. So they stuck with, and they're very much about the traditions, they stuck with the egg tempera. Um, but I don't know how to use that, so I used oil paint. <laughs> um, and, and gold leaf as well. There's you know, gold leaf surrounding Jesus, and uh, each of the suns, and the, the moon is silver leaf, but each of the suns is gold leaf as well. Um, yeah, it's two by two metres. It was the biggest size I could squeeze into my house and into my studio. Um, I would have made it bigger if I could have, but um, I think that's, that's good enough. How long? Uh, let's say 450 hours, which, which in some ways I look at it and think that took that long. Surely it should be only a 200-hour job, but... <laughs> It's, it's, that's, uh, I remember <clears throat> having a conversation with Joseph saying, oh, yeah, I should be able to get it done by April. And, and then as, the, as it progressed, he said, well, could we get it done by the end of ordinary time before Advent? Yeah, yeah, easy. I think I only just scraped in. <laughs> um, my kids were asking me, where are we today? Um, we're, we're here. We're just at the, near the end of uh, ordinary time. Uh, one more Sunday and then Christ is King Sunday. And then Advent starts the week after, and Advent is the beginning of the liturgical calendar. So that's the Christian New Year. That's the start of the cycle that takes us all the way around again. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a few things. Obviously, the, the Christian calendar is orientated and comes out of the Northern Hemisphere. So here we've got a Southern Hemisphere version of that. Yeah, so I wanted to make it specific for Southern Hemisphere, for Tauranga, and specifically for St. Luke's, for the people here, for the community that I feel very attached to and very much a part of. Um, You know, growing up in the church, that was one of the key things that kept me coming back um, in my um, somewhat uh, questioning years in my 20s and 30s was the community. Sometimes I wouldn't even go to the service. I would just turn up at the end to hang out with my mates. Um, because, yeah, I went through a stage, many of us have, when, when church was, was not appealing at all. And, yeah, and so coming to St. Luke's, a whole different vibe, whole different flavour, um, and Joseph didn't pester me about signing up for this, that, and the other thing. It was wonderful. Um, so what were we talking about? Oh, tell us. 
No, it, I like it's good stuff. Um, tell us how it's Southern Heaven, oh, Hemisphere yeah, yeah. specific and how it's St. Luke's specific. Okay, so uh, obviously, you know, our, our calendar is up the other way. So um, I guess that's a good chance to talk about the, the way it's divided up. The, the icons, uh, the bright sort of icons and the halfway points uh, <clears throat> are the... Um, the solstice period. So it's based around the astronomical calendar rather than the meteorological calendar. Um, so at each halfway point is, you know, that's the 21st of December, 21st of March, 21st of June, 21st of September. So, um, and yeah, and the, the top, top left corner is summer, autumn, winter, spring. And, uh, yeah, if you have a look, you'll see some things that are familiar to Tauranga, familiar to things that we know and uh, can relate to. Uh, you might recognise some mountains, you might recognise some hills, you might recognise things that are particular <coughs> to, to where we are. Um, <coughs> so, so if, you, if you haven't realised that we've got the rocks of Leisure Island up the top there looking across to the mount, just to, for some... And then when somebody said, oh, those mountains, they, they look like real pay here. It's like, yep, they, they, they do. <laughs> yeah. I don't recognise the, the hills, the rolling hills there. The, the, uh, sort of a combination of, of things in Welcome Bay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. And I thought we only had people from Matua. <laughs> Welcome Bay. Tell you where I'd rather live. <laughs> Sorry to the friends in Matua that we have fun mocking, but that's right. Um, and how St. Luke's specific? specific. Uh, so the, the writing, the scripted text around the edge of it is basically taken from a lot of the things that Joseph keeps prattling on about. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and, and realising how, how well they sort of fit into certain periods and um, things that we need reminding of and I need reminding of. After going to church for 40 years... I still need reminding of some of these basic things. Um, and that's the role of a pastor, you know, and, and we have a wonderfully gifted pastor who does these things and talks about these things, researches the stuff for us. We don't have the time for that. We're thankful that he does. I mean, the older we get, the more we need to be reminded rather than taught. And that's the invitation of the calendar, to be reminded of the story we know. Um, tell me, how was it painting Jesus? Because... Um, I have enough trouble finding an appropriate image of Jesus for a, a sermon and you, you, you Google image different portraits of Jesus and you're like, well, that one doesn't kind of fit and that doesn't tell the story. Like, how did you decide on um, going with that? Yeah, it's, it's not easy and it was with great trepidation. I think um, similar to Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights, it's easier to, uh, to deal with baby Jesus. Dear Lord and baby Jesus. And I have painted baby Jesus, um, but this was the first time painting grown-up Jesus. Grown-up Jesus can look at you, and, 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 and we know what he said. We know what he stood for. He becomes one of those things. Without even saying anything, he is a judge. He is an ideal. He is the, the archetype of, of goodness. Um, so, but thankfully... You know, as I've talked about already, there is a, a rich and long tradition of icon painting. Uh, so I was able to look at lots of different images of, of how Jesus has been interpreted. There's kind of a, a style and a pattern and a familiar... They all have a slight varying twist to them and something slightly unique, but they are 
very much after a pattern. So I could, I could lock into that and hold on to that as a way of managing the process. Um, but it's not easy, you know, the, the icons, it's not about uh, painting warm and cuddly Jesus who is beaming with a smile and it's not about painting a fiery, wrathful God either. It's, it's striking that balance between some, someone who was welcoming but who also terrified people enough that they wanted to kill him. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a challenge. And also I had uh, Julian Latoya coming in to check on it frequently to make sure I wasn't painting white Jesus. <laughs> Je Jesus was not a white man. Um, which uh, a lot of Western art has led us to believe he was. Apparently, yeah, he didn't have blue eyes and blonde hair. So, yeah, there was a lot of things to consider. But thankfully, having those traditions to draw upon, and, um, yeah, that certainly made it a lot easier. Do you want to tell them about the night before you started painting Jesus when the archangel was in your room and gave you that photo? <laughs> yeah. He actually copied a photo that uh, the I archangel think, I think it was Jesus himself. Oh, came, there you go. Right. Came and uh, sat in my room for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, look, there's nothing, nothing in the picture is there by accident. So uh, what would be, you know, we're not going to go through every element and unpack that. I'll unpack different elements in my sermons at, at different times. But from your perspective, what would be one thing that might not be obvious to people that you'd like to let them in on? Um, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a lot that I don't want to explain. There's things that I want you to look at and engage with in your own time. Um, yeah, I, I, obviously just that structuring of where the calendar sits um, in relation to the, our actual 12-month calendar will be helpful for you in orienting where we are. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking what else I had written down. While Dwayne yeah. looks, I'll, I'll let you know one that I don't think you'll get just from looking at it for a few hours. So uh, I'll let you in on one of the secrets. So the, in, in icons, the, the halo, they're not always called halos around Christ, but um, in the non-Trinitarian figures, so in the disciples or the apostles or Mary or whatever, there's, no, there's nothing in there. In the halo, it's just it's just plain. But always in the in the in the any of the Trinity, in the Father, Son, or Spirit icons, there'll always be the cross in the background. Mm. But you'll notice that the line there's three lines. So one on one side, and then a double line. One across the middle, and then a double line. Uh, you you'll never guess this by just staring into it meaningfully. But um, they represent three of the key Christian dogmas. So doctrine is something we believe, but different churches might believe something quite. A, a little bit different kind of thing. Dogma is the thing that's signed off across the, uh, the Christian church universally. And so the three dogmas that they represent are the, the oneness of God, the Trinitarian nature of God, and then that Christ is both fully human and fully design, uh, divine. So um, that's kind of, that's symbolized in the, in the triple red lines that you see in the cross behind Christ there. And I'll let you in on that secret because I don't think you would have guessed that by yourself. Um, but two, that lets you on on another secret that there's nothing in there. There's nothing in the painting by accident that, that doesn't have a long history of significance and meaning. And you could Google different things and explore different things and someone will find something out and at times I'll point things out. But yeah. There's lots of symbols and language and uh, things that are referencing various traditions, be it Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or, uh, yeah, so there's things to, to look at and ponder on. 
One thing I did want to um, read out is just the, a scripture that was very foundational for the formation of the idea. It's, uh, the title of that passage is called The Supremacy of Christ, and it's from Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself in all things, whether making things on earth, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Beautiful. Amen. Um, Tell us about the, the painting as an act of worship for yourself and as an invitation to worship. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a beautiful process. A, a, a lot of a concentration and attention and, and deep focus, obviously, has gone into it. Um, and I had a, a bit of a discussion with Andrew Killick about... Um, painting being prayer, and I, I quite adamantly said, no, painting's not prayer. It's too distracted. I'm, I'm focused on the medium, on the, on the mechanics, on, the, on whatever I'm, I'm doing and making. Um, but then Sean Detroit spoke about a few, uh, a few months back, he spoke about prayer is simply attending to the divine. And that really struck me. I was like, attending, attention, focus. Well, that's a lot of what is going on in, in the making of, of an artwork. And um, a lot of my work in recent years has been about sort of creating things that are aids to meditation, things that uh, might help us pause and think deeply about, um, about something. And, yeah, so that, that sense of attention and focus, you know, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I have... I, I kind of qualified it by saying I don't think it replaces uh, prayer-focused prayer where, you know, there's no distractions. I'm, I'm focusing and meditating deeply on, on God and on, on his truth and his word and uh, those kind of things. But, um, yeah, it's certainly it, it's, it's been a part of my spiritual practice, that's for sure. Brilliant. I mean, some people write songs. And it's an act of worship that then invites others to worship. Some people paint pictures, which is an act of worship that invites others to worship. Other people write sermons, which are an act of worship that invites others to worship. Um, other people make meals, which are an act of worship that invite others to worship. And I know all of those things can be beautifully spiritual and attentive and sovereign, and you feel like you're in this zone of connection. And then I know all of those things can be... Um, mundane at times and, and tedious and they I mean spiritual disciplines they're called disciplines because they are pain uh, their attentiveness to Christ but they also acknowledge that attentiveness to Christ is not always easy and sometimes there is a um mm. there is a uh, it feels more like work than play and then other times it feels far more like play than it does like work yeah it's the best kind of work I've ever done it's <laughs> you know the, the last four weeks 
I was, I took, I have a part-time job where I do two days a week and I uh, took time off that job to focus the whole of October and it was, was the most beautiful home detention you could imagine. I was in my studio for six or seven days a week. The last, the last week of painting was like four hours of sleep a night and just grinding away at it. But, you know, I say grinding, it was, it was still an enjoyable process. I, it's not like I got sick of painting. Um, yeah, it, it was, was a wonderful experience. The whole thing was really good. Beautiful. All right, my last question for you is, what is your hope in regards to this piece for us as a community? Um, yeah, to, to embrace the mystery. I think that's something, been a big part of my journey in, in the last five years, I guess, was realising that, you know, with, with data and science and empirical evidence and apologetics, you go so far. There's, there's, you never fully can encompass the reality of, of existence of God with our knowledge. There is always mystery. Mystery with a capital N, you know, that, that God is that mystery. We, we, are, we are not. We, we will never know enough to fully grasp everything. And um, so there's, there's mysterious elements in the painting. There's things to unwrap and un, un, uncover for yourselves. I'm happy to talk to people about it if they, if they want that. That's cool. I, I enjoy that part of the process. Um, but also, you know, just to continue to reflect on the, the cyclical rhythms of our life, the, the, the rhythms of, of a year, the rhythms of our days, that, that every year we have a fresh beginning. Every morning we have a fresh beginning and we have a fresh opportunity to, to embrace the day, the gift of life, to develop habits that are wholly whole and wholesome. Um, Joseph talks about it all the time, and it's only been in recent years that I feel like I've actually clicked. Ah, this actually works. Um, and, and really making sure that there is some kind of spiritual discipline in our life and, and connected to the calendar, connected to ancient wisdom, to traditional practices that, that are, are full of incredible gems and treasures. You know, there's a, a passage we talked about, I talked about with Joseph, uh, talks about bringing out treasures that are old and new. Um, and, yeah, there is a rich history. There is so much wisdom that we may have in our Pentecostal fervor just tossed aside as old, dusty irrelevancy that these are things that can still speak to us and educate us and enlighten us. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a big part of it. Um, to remind ourselves of the truth, to begin again. Deep connection. And also, you know, I, the, a lot of this has been, you know, a huge joy. It's, it's been wonderful to have a pastor who is interested in art, who thought that, yeah, this was a good idea, that making this thing was a good idea, that he wanted to get behind it. Uh, never experienced that before. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm hugely grateful for the work of Joseph. And I don't think I... Um, am alone in saying how, how, how beneficial and how, um, how much of a blessing it has been in our journey, particularly those of us who have had a long time in church and have had negative experiences, um, but to come to a place where we can learn afresh of old and new things. And, you know, the words, as, as I've said, these are, a lot of these things are straight out of Joseph's sermons. 
um, you know, a long obedience in the same direction. I mean, that's, he, he, that's referencing uh, Eugene Peterson, but it's something he talks about frequently, you know, flourishing, holy, whole, and wholesome. If we can just lock into some of those ideas, those habits, those routines, um, and a sacred rhythm of discipleship, you know, that in, in itself kind of sums up a lot of the, the calendar and the artwork. And that was from a recent sermon, you know, reflect and return, prepare. Yeah, there's, it's, and so I'm very grateful for you, Joseph and Julie, if you can, um, as, as a little token of my appreciation for, for the service. I mean, I, I grew, my dad was a pastor. I, I saw how hard... Being a pastor was. Um, it, it can be brutal, you know, what, what pastors have to deal with. The, it, it, you, you would never know it from the outside. There's so many struggles. And Joseph this year, he's been very honest with the struggles that he's had personally. The burnout, you know, and there's, there's so much that, um, that he does. You think, you think he's up here all sweaty because he's nervous. It's because he's been hauling chairs around for an hour before we get here. None of this was in the script, Dwayne. <laughs> so, Joseph, this is for you. This is a, a gift for you, uh, from me, but from all of us. You know, we, uh, we really appreciate your service. So this this was I had to do a practice painting before I took on the big one and I had this old frame it's a beautiful antique frame so I made the the painting to fit that frame and um, yeah I wanted you to have it I so appreciate that I mm. don't really have words thank you awesome um, why do you put your hands together for Dwayne thank you yeah, none of that bit was in the notes. I've got my little clothes off now. Um, Dwayne will be around, obviously, today and every Sunday, so feel free to ask any questions of Dwayne, and uh, he'll be able to unpack some more. Thank you to those that got behind and helped to pay for and put it together. Uh, I know Carly studied art history at school, so if you've got other questions about it, just see Carly. She'd love to... Um, She'd love to go for coffee, especially if you're a stranger, and just talk art history and, and, and unpack. Uh, I, I just want to close with two quick thoughts, and uh, we'll break for morning tea. Uh, in Cadences of Home, Walter Brueggemann writes uh, of the Jewish people in exile. He says, the most remarkable observation one can make about the interface of exilic circumstances and scriptural resource, or the most remarkable thing you can pay attention to in regards to these Jewish people in exile and these scriptural resources that they're putting together is that exile did not lead Jews in the Old Testament to abandon faith or to settle for abdicating despair, nor to retreat to privistic religion. On the contrary, exile evoked the most brilliant literature and the most daring theological articulation in the Old Testament. Uh, they're less than ideal circumstances, what Brueggemann is arguing, is that they're less than ideal circumstances 
promoted the very best in terms of their creativity, their songwriting, their poems, their storytelling. Dwayne's articulated that some of the very less than ideal circumstances have given rise to this creativity, and one aspect of that being this here, where I've had on my list for a long time to do a series about creativity and suffering, faith, and the interplay of faith and creativity and suffering, because it's when we're suffering, that's when we're in a dark place that we either give up or we find some way to, to find faith in Christ and to creatively chart a, a different path forward. But, but Brueggemann's arguing that in regards to um, the Israelites. Uh, philosopher Roger Scruton writes, in the absence of organized religion, the only vehicle for redemption, for redemption is art. Not just the fragmentary arts of a painting or a song or a poetry, but the kind of art that creates a whole world in itself. And in that world, we see ourselves reflected and see our religious life perfected, which is the hope of this piece, that it is an invitation into a whole different world, a whole larger, a whole bigger world. Uh, Brian Zahn writes, and beauty will save the world. It's a fantastic book. Uh, the church sacrifices the beauty of Christianity when it chooses the political form over the cruciform. Reaching for the ring of power distorts our beauty. And he argues that, we're to, that it's beauty that will save the world. I think appreciating that God is ultimate goodness, ultimate truth, ultimate beauty. Those are the, what's called the transcendentals. But we, we see, God, well, what is God? God is ultimate beauty. God's ultimate truth. God's ultimate goodness. Um, I think they're all of these different folks are making an argument in the, these different quotes that I've read out to let beauty be that which leads the charge. To, to recognize that it'll be beauty in this world that we live in at the moment that will lead the charge. Perhaps you could imagine it as a triangle, and in each corner there's beauty and there's truth and there's goodness. So you, you've got a triangle, beauty, truth, goodness. And imagine that's an arrowhead. Well, which point are you going to put first as you engage in the world around you, as you engage with your neighbor, as you engage with your workmates? Are you going to put truth at the front of the arrowhead, or are you going to twist it and put goodness at the front of the arrowhead, or are you going to twist it and put beauty at the front of the arrowhead? And I think you can make an argument that any one of them is fine, but I, I think we're living in a world where at the moment, if you're going to lead with anything, lead with the beauty and let the goodness and the truth follow right behind. Uh, it's not about ignoring goodness or truth. It's about ble uh, letting beauty light the way. If I make an announcement downtown on an upside-down box with a microphone or a bullhorn, which I'm not prone to do, um, I've got some truth I need to tell you you're kind of going to get crickets. Uh, I've got some good things I need to tell you about. You're probably going to get crickets. But I've got something beautiful I'd like to show you. One of the above is probably going to elicit some interest where the other things are not. I've got something beautiful to show you. Let, let me come and show you something beautiful and see if it opens you up to then consider some truth and some goodness as well. Well, we've all got something beautiful. Oh, Gloria Gaither in 1971. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. The artist is God's canvas long before the art is offered to the world. I'd rather have Dwayne Moyle than 10,000 of these. Because it's, it's the artist. That is first and foremost the art of God displayed and given to the world. And, and that which flows out of our lives comes second. And some of us will be creative people that can, uh, 
can do these kinds of things. Ben and I, Ben's already challenged me to a Jesus draw-off, <laughs> just, to, just to prove which of us is worse. Um, it's like, in other words, this is not our medium. But um, some of us will have creative outlets that feel very in line with the arts. Others, our creative outlet is encouraging words and acts of service and coming alongside somebody in a dark place and, and giving people prayer or whatever it might be. Well, Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, You, Lord, are the Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all a work in your hand. So this morning you might look at something like this and it, it, it's a cause to ignite and to spark wonder and beauty and, and, and majesty and you, oh, I wish I could do that. It's like, I wish I could do that too. But you yourself are the canvas or the clay that God as the master craftsman is molding and, and shaping and leading and forming to be and to become all that you're called to be, to be somebody whole and wholesome and holy that is a blessing to the world around you. So maybe you're, maybe you'll produce something beautiful in your life. But the point to remember this morning is that your life itself is something beautiful that God is producing. Uh, everything you look, uh, every time you look at the painting, this calendar, this frame, it's something beautiful. But it's telling the story of God's desire to do something beautiful in you. So in one sense, it's a mirror to look into and then to reflect back that, that God as the great artist is wanting to do something beautiful in you. And I think as we're attentive to that still small voice of the Spirit, and as we'll talk next Sunday, as we're attentive to the rhythms of the calendar, we discover that we are growing holy, whole, and wholesome, that God is transforming us from the inside out to be all that we're called to be, to be something beautiful. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. My invitation is to each Sunday let this be an invitation, a reminder, a strategy, a portrait that tells the story of God and that tells the story in turn of your life as you journey in the story of God. Look through the piece at your brothers and sisters that are gathered in Christ because they're canvas like your canvas, they're clay like your clay. And God's doing something in their life. And every now and then we, we have a little moment where we get to share some of our life with their life to make it in turn something more beautiful. So let us be attuned to the Spirit to be that to one another and let amongst a thousand other things, let something like this piece that Dwayne has put together be an invitation to that wider world, that bigger world, that bigger perspective. All right, let's stand to our feet. We'll close in prayer this morning.